0: We are doing a series called Papa, and we kicked this off last week, and if you missed the start, if you missed where we all began, then check it out on our podcast. You can listen in on our podcast, and you can get caught up. But essentially, what we are trying to do with this series is for a little while, we are looking at the biggest story that we are part of, and uh, Papa means a, a matrix of people and place that then give us our identity, They help give us cues for our roles and our responsibilities, and the church has a Papa. The church has a beautiful whakapapa, 2,000 years worth of good things. And so we want to look at some of those things. We want to have a look around. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to do a couple of fun things. We're going to be looking at the vineyard story uniquely. So next Sunday, we're actually going to have a guest. We're going to have Lloyd Rankin, who was the founder of the vineyard here in New Zealand. He's going to be coming. I'm going to be interviewing him. Uh, We're going to be telling our central vineyard story. If you haven't heard that story, then in a few weeks, we're going to be doing that as a co-leadership. Uh, Rob, Alicia, Gab, and myself are going to be sharing that Sunday, telling the story of this place. Uh, but today, what I want to do is today I want to take us back to the start, and I want to take us to something called the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to be looking at this foundational part of our faith. We're going to look at that together today. So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of Scripture. And today we're going to be reading from Matthew 28. You can feel free to turn in your Bibles to that as well. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is the word of God for us today. All together, Lord, would you take this story and the scripture Would you take this moment from Jesus, would you plant it in our hearts like seed, that it would be a good fruit into our lives, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Grab a seat. Let's get started. It is Easter morning, and you have gathered with a bunch of Christians from your local village on the side of a local stream. It's still dark, but the morning is just starting to peer over the horizon. And this morning has been anticipated for months. As a community, you've been looking forward to this moment. Because today, people in the church are going to become followers of Christ. They've been spending months getting ready, and as this Easter dawn breaks, the moment is nearly here. Uh, you're one of these people. Use your imagination with me. Today is your day. And as you stand beside that stream, while it's still dark, you are invited to derobe oh, you didn't expect that, did you? You're invited to take off your jewelry and to signify that there is nothing you can take with you from your past life into this new moment that you are about to enter. You stand there, naked. And someone anoints you with oil. And they take you and the others down to the water's edge of the stream and lead you out into its gentle current. You stand there, waist high in water, oil over your shoulders. And a voice calls out from the riverbank. Do you believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? And those of you standing in the water say together, I do. And you dunk under the water and you come back up. First dunk. The voice calls out again. Do you believe in God's only son, Jesus Christ, our Lord? He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, he descended into hell. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come again and he's going to judge the living and the dead. Do you believe? Those of you standing in the water, I do. And you're dunked again under the water. Splash, up you come. Second dunk. And the voice calls out a third time. And do you believe in the Holy Spirit? The Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of your body and the life everlasting. I do, says all those standing in the water, dunk one third time. Three dunks under the water. And the voice calls out one last time from the riverbank. This is our faith. This is the faith of the church. We are proud to profess it. Christ is our Lord. Amen, everyone says together. The sun is coming up a little bit more now. There's a little bit more light breaking over the horizon. The new day, Easter morning, has broken. And you're brought up out of the, out of the water. You're anointed one more time with oil. And you're given new clothes. New robes to put on. New clothes that, if you know your uh, epistles well, like what Paul writes about in Colossians, a new nature to put on your body. And to signify a new family that you now belong to. It's the year 300 AD. And you have just become a Christian. In what we would call the ancient church. You now fully identify and affirm as someone who is wholly following Christ. Just after the the words from Jesus we heard earlier as our reading. Go and baptize disciples in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what they did. Easter morning, communities all over that area of the world would baptize people into belonging to Christ. This was an annual ancient baptism on Easter morning. Now, in the ancient world and in the ancient church, it's important to realize that belief and ritual were deeply interconnected you represented that you believed something by doing something just like we come to the table to have our beliefs in the mercy of God stirred as we eat and drink together we do something that the belief may follow along and so it was with baptism your body embodied what your spirit said to be true And this is what it was to be baptized. It was to follow Christ with this act of this Trinitarian belief. You responded to the great commission that Jesus had given his disciples, the command of what they were to go and do in the world. And your body was used in this for this threefold dunking under the water to show you understood that you believed in God, the father. You believed in God, the son. You believed in God, the Holy Spirit, and you belong in this church, this new family of God. And so to do this, you recited what has become known as the Apostles' Creed. And this creed is what we're going to talk about today. It's this confession of belief which began as this first catechism of the church, But um, before we get there, just let me give you a couple of headlines in case you're like, I have no idea what we're talking about. Firstly, the apostles. Well, the apostles were those early followers that we've heard from our reading today, the disciples who were around Jesus. But what is actually a creed? So what is this creed thing that we're speaking of? It's not the band. (laughs) The sound of a dog gnawing on a bone, eh? (laughs) What is life for? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you need to park that idea today, okay? We're not talking about Scott Stapp here. We're talking about a particular type of a statement of belief. We're actually talking about a document or a statement that was made because of its first word. In the Latin, the Latin word credo means I believe, and that's where we get the creed from. Credo translates to belief. It is a statement of belief. And here's what's interesting. The Christian faith is actually the only one that has creeds. Creeds are actually only used within the Christian story. This is something that's unique to our whakapapa. And that's why we're talking about it today. This is actually something that is uniquely Christian. Now, why does a creed matter? Why would we talk about this today? Well, there's three things that are important to pick up on when we think about a creed. A creed's doing three important things. Firstly, beliefs are being articulated. You know, sometimes I think we all just live with a bunch of assumptions that we have the same beliefs. But the creed actually declares what is accepted as facts and truth. Now remember, this, this is a time when being a Christian was not this known thing. There was not this group knowledge of this yet. It was not sort of assumed thanks to all of the wider culture You didn't just sort of have a few friends that you're like, oh yeah, I've got some Christians that I grew up with going to Sunday school. I know a few things. No, this was sweeping the world as a fresh expression. So as a result, the creed articulated what this group of people believed. If you were going to become a Christian, you had to walk away from the pagan culture. Pagan just simply means a worshiper of other gods. You had to walk away from those other gods and you had to start following this Christian God, this God Christ Christ. This God who is Father, this God, Holy Spirit. You, you started to say, I believe in that God. This creed articulates that. Secondly, beliefs are learnt. You know, this is the catechism part of the statement here. Actually, this creed statement became a launch pad to teach people about this God. And that's why it was used in preparation for baptism. As, as, as weeks and months leading up, you didn't just kind of get in the water that day because you felt like it. You walked your way through a journey of unpacking and understanding this. Do I actually fully comprehend what I am saying I do to? They're like marriage vows. They're really important. And we can't just sort of autopilot our way through marriage vows, can we? We have to know that we, we mean what we're saying. And so it is with these Beliefs. They are learnt through the reciting of the creed, the articulation of the creed. And lastly, beliefs are lived. Because how many of us know that actually a lot of our life is lived through repetition? It's lived through the repetition of things. Our loves are curated through the repetition of rhythms that build good loves into us and point our loves into good directions. So the regular rhythm of repetition and reciting the creed actually helps to to live towards a certain vision of life. Now, we don't recite the creed very often here, so you're thinking, Dan, we don't really say that very often. I know, I know we don't say it very often. And uh, there's something that I just want to articulate a little bit today, is like, maybe we should think about this together. Maybe we should think about the fact that we're not saying this regularly together. Because maybe we're missing out on some core pieces of belief as a result. And maybe we're not living those pieces of belief as a result. i throw that to you. Last headline, last thing to say. Who wrote it? Um, well, there's a story that the 12 lines that are in the creed were written each by one of the apostles or one of the disciples. Uh, each one offered one. Um, I don't know which one is Judas's, but um, <laughs> I mean, that's a nice idea, but actually scholars, scholars disagree. The, the apostles didn't actually get together and write this thing out. That's not what happened. Um, it's more of a folk story, actually. Uh, the way that the creed appears is actually a slow burn, and it is actually, it's sort of like, you know that phrase, uh, we're, we're, we're making the plane as we're flying it? You know, that's, that sentiment, like we're, we're building the plane while it's in motion? That, it's kind of like that with the creed. The creed seems to be put together over the distance of it coming about. And actually, some of its earliest forms seem to be have come in from these confessions at baptism. So it's linked to that, and then it gets articulated somewhere in around the fourth or fifth century. And there's other creeds around this creed. Is the Nicene Creed, for example. But what we're talking about today is the Apostles' Creed. So what we don't know is we don't, sorry, what we do know is we don't know who wrote it. But that's okay. Because what happened is it came together through being drawn out of a wider sense of community. Christians with their rituals of belief, bringing those to declare what they believed. Now other councils like the Nicene Council, sorry, other creeds like the Nicene Creed came about because of councils getting together and kind of doing some group work and debate and and wrestling with stuff. That's not the story here with the Apostles' Creed. It's not quite like that. It's just a a little bit more organic than that. So uh, if you have this thought that like the 12 apostles wrote a line each and kind of put it into the thread, uh, it's not quite that, I'm, I'm afraid. It's a little bit more make it up as we go along here. Thank you very much. So what is this creed? What is the Apostles' Creed? What actually is it? Well, here it is. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. He descended into hell and on the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, I'm just going to unfold some of this today. And due to time, I cannot talk about all of it exhaustively. There's some fantastic themes in there to unpack that are sermon series all on their own. And there's some there's some things in there that are a little bit contentious, like well, how does that bit work and how does that bit work and should that bit even be in the creed? And and we're going to talk about that as a big picture thing, but I'm not going to unpack all of that today. We just don't have time. What I want to do is I want to take us through primarily the bits in bold, the kind of main headlines of the three pieces of the creed. So we're going to start with the first piece here. I believe in God the Father, And, and let's start with that very first word. Let's start with the word I, because who is this I? That is saying the creed. Is it you as an individual or is it I as a communal? See, the creed is a little bit like wedding vows. Wedding vows are not just of the moment. Wedding vows have existed for generations and generations and generations and generations. I recently took a wedding of a couple here in our community up north and they got married in the church that her grandparents had been married in. And I just felt like as I stood there that day, you are saying words that your grandparents stood here and said wow, that is amazing. You belong to something bigger as you stand here today. And so it is with the creed. The creed is not just I, as in my little idea and my little belief. It is this great communal voice across centuries, across tribes, across tongues, across contexts. It is much bigger than just this little old me. This is a big I. 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 As part of the family of God, I, next word, believe. And this is where the creed is about trust. This is where the creed is about trust. Augustine said this, or Augustine, or another way to say it, I'm sure. People have all sorts of ways of saying his name. Augustine said this, without trust, we would be unable to do anything In this life without trust we would be unable to do anything in this life you know not only when it comes to faith but just, just think of just think of how a relationship works at its at its most purest level a relationship is built on trust it's built on the belief of the other I believe that you have the best intentions for me and I hope you believe that of me too We trust each other. And what happens when that starts to erode? What happens when that starts to break down? When belief and trust starts to crumble? Relationship starts to break. You know, even if we've got all the details lined up and figured out, trust is still the essential piece here. And the creed starts off by saying this. God is trustworthy. You know, this isn't just about stepping out into the dark, hoping for the best. It's not some irrational leap that we're talking about here today, although there are things that we might not quite have our heads around yet. That's okay. But the creed is about specific things that mysteriously, even if I have not experienced those things yet, even if I have not got them figured out, these are invitations to come and taste and see God is trustworthy. God can be trusted as I go through these things. Faithfulness sits here. Come and see that the Lord is good. I believe in God the Father, it says. Well, this one is straight from the lips of Jesus. I just pulled the first three scriptures. I could even just recite off the top of my head from memory verses here. There's three verses where Jesus is talking about his life with the Father. This is how he related to God. Jesus related to God as his Father. And so this is like how Jesus teaches us to pray. And he says, start by saying, our Father the creed starts off the same step. This is how we too are to approach God, our Father. Not as our angry heavenly spiritual judge or not as our transactional banker of sin management in the sky or not as our our magician who just seems to be able to move the weather every now and then. Our Father, our Father, Our Father. Now, if you need to do some work around this, around who God is, this is where the creed starts to take on the learning gear pretty quickly. Come and learn that this God who is trustworthy and can be trusted, he's like a good father. And that's the perspective that Jesus had. Jesus had this perspective of his life with God. We are adopted into life in the family. We are adopted into this life with a new father. This is the relationship we are to have with God. Not as these distant orphans who are separated and and, and, and sort of discarded, but as people of a new family. A new family. And the creed starts us off with this perspective. It says, this is about relationship. And it's about the relationship you can have with God. I love how Gregory the Great put it. He says this, father designates neither the substance nor the activity, but the relationship. The manner of being which holds good between the Father and the Son. See, this is a statement of the relational nature of God. There's a lot packed in here. The Father is not just passive either, but the Father is this almighty creator, maker of heaven and earth. The Father has done some amazing work, work that we can actually not do ourselves, but work that we get to benefit from, work that we may never fully understand, but, fully, uh, but work that we can enjoy nonetheless. This father has made stuff. This father has pushed back against the Gnosticism of the world and has not just lived in the spiritual realm, but has entered into it through himself, tied to it. How? By entering it as his son. This God has not only made matter, but God has entered matter as a human being. God's own son. Tertullian says this, the great church father says this, father makes son, son makes father. A father must have a son to be a father and a son must have a father to be a son. I can put my hand up and say, that's true. I wasn't a father until the 23rd of August, 2018. Why 19? I don't know, 18. Let's go with 18. I think it was 18. Sorry, Gab. Uh, I became a father that day. When my son arrived, I became a father. And so it is in this relationship with God. God became father because God has a son, which brings us to the next part of the creed. And in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord. Now this is perhaps the most important part of the whole creed. This line is echoing the line we looked at last Sunday where we looked at Peter's confession. So last Sunday, we looked at Peter's confession, you are the Messiah, you are the Lord. And so we looked at that last Sunday, Matthew 16. And so this is the earliest form of the confession of the church. Uh, It goes on in a few other scriptures to say the same thing. In Romans 10 verse 9, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 3, Um, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You know, this was the confession of the church. Jesus is Lord. Caesar is not. Jesus is. Uh, This is the confession of the church. This statement is the center that everything spins from. Uh, The analogy here that's helpful is it's like the hub in the middle of the wheel. All the other spokes come off this. Everything else radiates off this. This is the core piece that must be right first. It is all about Jesus. Total allegiance to him. Life in his gospel is what this creed comes out of, like some radiating beam, like the spokes coming off the hub out to form the rest of the wheel. You know, it's important to remember today, at the heart of our faith, at the heart of what we're doing here, is is not just some idea, and it's not just some theory. At the heart of our faith is a person. The person is Jesus Christ, the Lord. And if we confess this statement, we're confessing, you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of what I am doing. I sat down with Chris, our youth pastor, just before youth camp, because he was talking about how they were, they, were, they were gearing up towards doing a moment when they could invite youth to follow Jesus. And I just said with him, and most of you are just going like to not care about this at all, but this is geeky stuff for me that really matters. I said, what are you actually going to invite them to say? He said, oh, I guess we'll do the sinner's prayer, like um, Jesus come into my heart. I said, ah, dude, that's not what Jesus declared for us to do. What did Jesus ask us to do? And as we talked about it, Chris was kind of like mulling over the details. He's like, man, he invited us to give our lives to him. I said, that's it. That's the call. Jesus, I give my life to you. You are Lord. So it's not about here's the transaction of you coming in and having a bit of me. It's I'm giving you all of me to you. That is what is at the center and the hub of the Apostles' Creed. Jesus is Lord. The whole of life works around him. Central vineyard. What do we say every week here? We say we want to be people where Jesus is center, where the whole thing works around him. This is what I'm talking about here. We believe that all of this works around Christ. He, risen, risen buried, ascended, all of the stuff that we're about to look at is at the center of all we're doing. In Colossians 3, it says this, for you died in this life, sorry, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. When we confess Christ as Lord, what we are doing is saying, Christ, my life is hidden in what you have done. I'm enfolded into your story and I'm enfolded into your work and I'm enfolded into your family. So back to that baptism story earlier, the one I started with, the, 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 the naked one, all right, the nude one. That's why the early baptism was done in that way. Because what they were saying as they derobed and took their jewelry off and got into the water, what they were saying is, is that no type of societal difference can get you a little bit higher in the story. Whether you have money or don't have money doesn't earn you any more favor in the story. Who you are in society doesn't earn you any more favor in this story. Whether you have plenty or you don't have a lot doesn't earn you any more in this story. And that is why those early Christians, whether they were those in a household who were the masters or those who were the workers, whether they were wealthy or whether they were poor, it does not matter. They all deroged and got in the waters as equals. What that baptism said in that way, why they did it that way, was to say, nothing earns us any head starts in this. We are all recipients of God's mercy equally. All of our lives are hidden in Christ. Am I preaching yet? Am I preaching yet? Isn't That's the good news. None of us have got a head start in this, guys. None of us have earned our way a little bit further ahead than each other. We are all recipients of the same mercy. And we're all called to the same hub at the center of the wheel. Come and confess Jesus is Lord. His merciful invitation is for all of us. And so, this Jesus was born not in the Gnostic way, but in the spirit entering the womb kind of way, this tying together of spirit and flesh, God humbling himself and entering through humility and vulnerability through the birth of Mary, it says. And then Christ suffered. Now, one of the things that a lot of theologians do say is like, it's a bit of a shame that the creed skips an entire piece of Jesus's life, which is his life and ministry, and it gets straight to he suffered. Now, it's just important to realize that this is not trying to be like a deep dive expose biography of the life of Jesus. This is just trying to give us some headlines here, some main points. And I wanna suggest that when we think of the life of Christ, if we were to abridge that story and put some key words on it, I would hope one of the words that we'd put on the table is, he suffered. He suffered. And so the creed says that quite quickly. He suffered. Christ suffered. And when we come back to the Gospels and we read of the life of Christ, we can see Christ saying this of himself, that he knows that he is the suffering servant, that who Isaiah has pointed towards, the one who is going to come to take the sins of the world away, not by power and by becoming another big political push, but by being the suffering servant, the lamb who was slain. This is not God flexing his muscle here. This is God entering into the pain of the world through servanthood. Christ dies and was buried. Is my slide going to go to that? There we go. Let's catch up here. He was crucified. Uh, he dies. He's buried. He descends into hell. Again, there's some, like, there's some like, work done by scholars there, but we'll leave that for another day and then uh, he ascends. All of that is like this micro version of what? It's the micro version of the Easter story. So remember, this is taking place on Easter morning at a baptism service, essentially. And in that moment, they are reciting the story of why we are here. They are saying, this is what this Jesus who is Lord has done. He has died. He has been buried. He has, he has risen again, and he's, he's ascended. And as I stand here about to go into the waters, that's exactly what I am doing too. I too am doing that with my life. And that's why in Romans it says this from Paul. He says this, this this is what your baptism meant. You got in to signify your death and that you'll be rising with Christ. Do not forget that that's what it's all about. Or as in 1 Corinthians says, it says this, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? See, the one who has made Jesus Lord of all can truly say this. Because this is what Jesus himself has led his way through. And not alone or under our own strength, but by the Spirit. Because that's how Christ did it too. Christ was a person of the Spirit. Which brings me to the last piece for this morning. I believe in the Holy Spirit. We're doing okay? We're flying through this pretty quickly, aren't we? There's a lot in here, as you can see. And I'm just doing a quick version. But last bit here. I believe in the Holy Spirit. In the start of the scriptures, in Genesis, it says that the spirit was brooding over the chaos, brooding over the mess. And it was through the spirit that God brought Adam into the world. Adam, a man, mankind. And in Luke 1, in reflecting some of that story, Luke talks about how the Spirit was brooding over Mary. And in the start of the Gospels, in this kind of Genesis-like way, the Spirit has now moved from the chaos of the earth to over this woman. And the work of God is not just done through the Father and the Son, it is also done through the Spirit. And the Creed wants to remind us of that. We're not just people of relationship with God the Father, And we're not just in relationship with Jesus, the Son, but we are also in relationship with God's power and presence, the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, again, reflecting this Genesis story, Luke writes about the birth of the church. And in writing about this birth of the church, he talks about this moment of Pentecost, this moment when the Holy Spirit brings about life as the church bursts into the world. We talked last week about how the church was conceived at Peter's confession in Matthew 16, but it was born in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And now the Holy Spirit is brooding over people in a completely different way. There's tongues of fire and there's wind. There's this sense of the Holy Spirit. There's these tongues speaking in unknown languages, but known languages, which is kind of a crazy idea of, of what Pentecost was all about. And so here we have the Spirit brooding over a group of people, the church. For the first moment in history, we see a church. Jesus is Lord, but the Spirit, the power, has come to knit people together. Hence why the Creed, from this point, goes on to speak about some knitting-type things. The Spirit works its way into our, our presence by doing some of these things. Firstly, The holy catholic church now that's not to say we are a catholic church as in we're central vineyard catholics it's to say that there's this word catholic to describe the church Uh, catholic is not just a type of church it actually describes the church in that the catholic church is a universal church it is the entirety of the church it's the wide church and that's what the word meant in its day the Catholic church was to say the whole church, the wide church, the church beyond what I know from my village, a church in the, ne- the village next door and the next one over. And that church we've heard from that one with that letter. We know of these churches. We are the Catholic church. Division is not meant to be our story. And wherever there is some sort of fault line, Jesus invites us to step our way over it. Because the Holy Spirit wants what? A Catholic church a united church a universal church um, in Ephesians 4 it says it like this for there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope of your calling one Lord one faith one baptism one God and father of all this oneness that is being spoken about here is what that word Catholic is getting at and in the words of the is it the three musketeers um, all for one and one for all that's what, that's what Catholic is getting at. And so it's to be included in this oneness is to take your place as a person in the communion of saints. You come and take your place amongst a story that has had thousands and thousands and thousands and now millions and millions and millions of participants. Saints throughout history. You know, some of you can think of saints that you know. Some of you can think of saints who have run a good race, family members maybe elderly grandparents who finished the they finished their race so beautifully and you go i want to be like them when i grow up or maybe you're thinking of saints because of the books you read maybe you read beautiful authors from the church history and there's wisdom just stacked through the pages oh my goodness this is just so rich what a life this person had this communion of saints isn't it good to know we're not alone isn't it good to know we're not making this up? Isn't it good to know that we can imitate those who have imitated Christ? And then, as, you, as a person who is part of the communion of saints, you're a person who, by the Spirit, has had the forgiveness of your sins. Your sins have been forgiven. You will have the resurrection of your body. You will join Christ in being a resurrected person. And the life everlasting, the life of the, of the kingdom that is to come, you will have that life. And what the Creed is trying to do is it's trying to just put all of that together as some key headlines and say, this is what we believe. And we get to the last bit, the last word. Amen. Amen. Do you know what amen means? I've been, um, I've been teaching my boy how to pray. And so to do that, uh, I've been teaching him how to pray the Lord's Prayer. And so, this week we had a big moment in that he managed to do it all by himself. Okay, can you do that? Yeah, that's closed. Okay, all no. the way from the top, you can do it. Uh, Father, who's in heaven, what is is your name, You can heaven come, you will be done on earth. Um, in heaven? That's good. Um, You can heaven come, you will be done on earth. As in heaven, give us today our daily bread. we have give us our sins. And. They take this from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom. For yours is the kingdom The power. No, but I it all by myself, oh. the kingdom and the power. Oh, it glory. That's it. Uh, Amen. beautiful. Good praying. Good point. we been working on that one for weeks, and, and this week he, because I've led him, and this week he said, I want to lead. So I've got another recording of him on like Monday and Tuesday night going first and making me follow him, and <laughs> our Father, and our Father, who is in heaven, who is in heaven, and that was, uh, that was like Thursday night, he did it all by himself, and uh, I've been thinking about that moment that I get to participate in with him, which is, amen, I get to say amen with him, So what is that? It is to say, yes. It's to say, I agree. Yep. Everything he said, yes. Amen is a deeply affirmative word to say, I agree. Let it be, Lord. Everything that was just said, yes. So when we pray and we say, amen, we are saying, yes, and that is a beautiful way to finish isn't it yes and so we've looped right round. we start this by saying I believe and we kind of step out like I don't know <laughs> maybe mm, kind of I think I'm going to believe this and then we get to the end we're invited to say one more time full circle yes trust I agree and this is where we're talking about this in the Papa series. This is why it's in our series, is because to talk about Papa is to talk about this matrix of people in place who have given us the sense of our identity, the cues for our roles, and the cues for our responsibilities. And so to do that is to say we belong to something far bigger than just ourselves. We have not made this up. We are standing amongst the story that's been unfolding. And I want to propose that one of the most important words we can say together as a community for the rest of our lives is, amen. Because to say amen is to say yes. Yes to all of that. Yes to what's happening here. I agree. I say yes. I am going to be a person who echoes and reverberates with where this has gone. I'm going to be a person who is echoing where this is going I choose to be a person of amen. I don't know about you, but in closing, I just want to say this. Since that day in 300 AD, when people used to get nude to get baptized, a lot has changed in the church. A lot of things are done differently. The world has changed. The world has seen a lot. The world has seen a lot of highs. The world has seen a lot of lows. The world has experienced a lot. The world has grown a lot, and also the world has diminished a lot. It's gone both ways, up and down. The world has hurt a lot, and the world has achieved a lot. The world has lived one heck of a journey for the last 2,000 years, all while in the middle of it, some people who are saying, Jesus is Lord, have tried to walk along with that and play their part. And throughout all of that, those people have said, Amen. Amen. I am not making this up. I am not alone. I am part of something. Something bigger. Yes, I agree. And so I want to invite us to finish today. We're going to finish a little differently. Today we're going to eat to and stand. And I just feel like the thing to do is for us to say this together. It would just be so silly to have spoken about it for the last 35 minutes with you. And then just not give us the ability to do this for ourselves. And so I want to invite you. This is not just mere tradition, but this is to do, as I spoke about earlier, this is to tie ritual to our belief. It's to become a person who with our bodies, with our voice, we've already sung today, singing is the same thing. We are singing, we're using our bodies to convey what we believe to be on the inside. That's why sung worship is so important to us, it's such a treasure to us as a community. We do this every week because we believe like, to put our bodies in the game here, to do this with our bodies is important. It ties to our beliefs. And so today I want to invite you to do the same thing. And we're going to recite this Apostles' Creed together, this, this statement of faith that has been going through the church for about 1,600, 1,500 years at least. We're going to say it together. And at the end, we're going to say, Amen. And that's going to be the end of our gathering today. But that doesn't end the story. It just creates an echo point for us to go and keep living from. Having said, I affirm all of this, and now I go. Amen's not a full stop. It's more like a comma. All right, let's go together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Grace and peace to you. Go into the rest of your Sabbath as a person of the kingdom of God. Go full of the life of God. Grace and peace to you, Central Vineyard. Have a blessed Sunday. We love you.